Welcome to Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, where we explore how innovation and new ideas from here are changing our world in more dimensions than you could possibly even imagine. In this episode, as a Valentine's Day special, we're looking at intimacy and sex in cyberspace. We'll be hearing how the world of digital encounters and relationships has evolved with the advancement of technology and the creativity of people like our guest today. Now, we can be androgynous, we can be multisexual, we can be whatever we want to be. And, you know, the whole gender, sex, gender thing, I think it's a a marvellous palette to play with now, isn't it? I'm very much looking forward to introducing you to Dr Trudy Barber. And I should perhaps add that this edition contains content that may raise your eyebrows, to say the very least. Brace yourself for flying dildos and talking comdoms, rubber frocks, cybersex suits, and the truth about sex robots. Trudy Barber is a senior lecturer in media studies in the School of Film, Media and Communication at the University of Portsmouth. Her current research interests are in the multi-mediated body, which we'll be hearing about in a moment, and digital explorations of gender, sexuality and sexual behaviour with tech. Oh, and she has a doctorate in cybersex. Let's start with a definition. What is cybersex? Well, basically, cybersex is engaging in some kind of sexual behaviour using things like digital spaces, going online, I think even using remote controlled objects, that kind of thing. But mostly it's, it's about engaging in that intimacy through a digital space. The variety of these spaces and how we present ourselves in them gives rise to a concept of the multimediated body. At the moment, we've got such a convergence of media. We've got television, we've got streaming, we've got gaming, we've got the mobile phone, we've got GPS tracking stuff, we've got access to streaming movies, we've got all these things. And then we've got our mobile phone and we can take photographs of ourselves and we can put all the filters on ourselves and we can make our boobs look huge. We can pose ourselves in certain ways so that we look a certain way. Our body is completely mediated. So we, we are multimediated because we are everywhere and everywhere is in us. Back to cybersex. The term sounds racy and it can involve what you might think of as an extreme behaviour, but not necessarily. It could equally apply to people getting a bit intimate on a dating app or sending nude pictures of themselves to another person. Trudy says she enjoys the moment when she's explaining this in a lecture and her students realise that they may already be engaging in cybersex themselves. As we'll hear, for some people, cybersex technology enables them to have relationships they wouldn't be able to have in real life, and it can open up conversations about sex that were never had in the past. But before we go into all of that, let's go back to the 1980s and Trudy's impactful arrival on the digital scene. She'd graduated from art school with a very traditional fine art degree. But along the way, she'd become fascinated by human anatomy and machines, and she'd been thinking hard about what could be done with the human body in cyberspace. She wanted to get involved with a very new technology called virtual reality, and her timing was spot on. I managed to find a virtual reality company in London called Virtual S, and I I took my ideas to them and I said, uh, could we do some work together? I want to do virtual sex, and I had a whole sort of portfolio to show them, and they said... 
yeah, all right then, we'll give you a go. So the rest is history. And I had a whole team of people making this to be our world for me because what we decided to do was it was at the time when AIDS was like really sort of being promoted, something really scary, and it was like a terrible time. And so what we did was I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of gamify sex in a virtual environment? So we created this space that you go into and the sounds with me breathing. So, so you're excited already, I can tell. And so you would go into this space and um, you'd see this, uh, the words safe sex spinning around. It was all completely three-dimensional and with your headset on, which is like, I always tell everybody, it's like putting on a small cathedral on your head because it weighed a tonne and it was attached to a massive computer and it was all like £500,000 worth of kit, whereas now we've got it in our pockets pretty much. We produced this, this world where you had the word safe sex and you had... A body of the Venus de Milo that was all, it was already sort of like a pre-packaged. So we had a, a Venus de Milo, but we had to make a male figure. And this was where it got fun because I don't think anybody had really made a virtual penis before. There was nothing like the sophistication we've got now. And so we had these polygons, we made this, this sort of thing that looked a bit like Gort from The Day the Earth Stood Still, the film. And it just kind of stood there with this sort of, um, small trident, well, it's quite large trident missile sticking out from between its legs. So that was sort of like, okay, this is this is the future of sex. <laughs> it's looking really clunky, and we had flying condoms and flying dildos that would talk to you. So the idea was with the game is to get into the space, be terrified by the huge gort and the the, uh, the Venus de Milo, and you could choose whether to stick the floating condom onto the trident missile penis or the dildo into the body of the Venus de Milo. <laughs> and then when, when you actually got the condom anywhere near or sort of around the trident missile penis, you got the orgasmatron effect and you were flung into this sort of corridor of flashing colours that would... And this kind of sound that went, and then different noises are going, oh, 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 well, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then once you got through that, you were out on the other side and you were out of the game. I know what you're thinking. You'll never look at a Trident missile the same way again. Sci-fi films like Blade Runner set the scene for virtual reality technology. But others, like The Lawnmower Man, with its suggestion of possible rape in cyberspace, sparked fears about safety and consent in this unknown digital world. Virtual reality at that time was so expensive that very few people would actually experience it, and the media ran wild with scare stories. Trudy was in high demand on TV shows to talk about and defend this new cyber world. But she and her team just wanted the public to be able to try it for themselves. People were imagining all this kind of hype and nonsense about virtual reality and it was going to eat our brains and we were all going to become zombies, but actually the mobile phone did that. Um, but that's another story. I had to really believe in what I was researching at that time and the, the sort of things that I was creating at that time. I found a whole sort of pre-LGBTQ subculture of the fetish scene, the fetishists, it was a time when they were having a lot of amazing clubs going on in London that you could go to. They would have uh, the Skin 2 Rubber Ball 
once a year and they said we'll show your VR installation there and so what I did with this installation was we used it to raise money for AIDS charities so you pay two quid and go through the whole experience and then it went to um, uh, was it the Terence Higgins Trust or something anyway we, we, we did um, we did that and that, I, I felt that there was a way of actually educating people with it too in doing this, they were able to show that this new virtual environment wasn't scary, it was actually fun, and definitely something a bit different. There's a paper I, I wrote quite, quite a while ago, and it's called Deviation as a Key to Innovation, Understanding a Culture of the Future. And I think that if you've got some people with, with really different ideas that deviate things from the norm, then you've got different types of innovation coming out from that. And I think maybe that's something that I did with virtual reality was I deviated from what people thought it was going to be used for and took it from there. Not long after her success with the fetishists, though, Trudy felt like she'd hit a dead end. The virtual reality company she'd work with went bust. And when she spoke to other people about her ideas, nobody seemed to understand what she was talking about. She'd pretty well given up and was seriously considering a quiet life as an art teacher. When out of the blue, she was offered the chance to do a PhD in cybersex at the University of Kent. She was back in the game. Years later, cybersex is huge and diverse and accessible to anyone, whatever their sexual identity and however they want to appear online, by themselves or as part of a community. It's changed the way people have relationships completely. It's you know, everything and everybody because now we can be androgynous, we can be multisexual, we can be whatever we want to be. And so, you know, the whole gender, sex, gender thing, I think it's a marvellous palette to play with now, isn't it? I mean, you've got things like polycules now. You used to have polyamorous relationships, but now you have polycules, which are a whole load of groups of people who are together online that form a sort of singular poly relationship between them all so there's there's various types of intimacies that have been developed through cybersex through digital spaces through the access to digital spaces and i think sometimes they meet about once a year or something the polycules do but i think it's up to each group but they can have anything sort of five six ten people connections and interactions can take place on any platform people are comfortable with and Trudy believes in some cases, these digital relationships are actually more viable than they would be in real life. Yeah, I think for some people, it can be their only relationship. Depends what uh, sort of social context they've got or, or what kind of um, identity issues they may have and things like that. And of course, you know, going into digital spaces where you can take on avatars and be whoever you want to be, that opens up things even more. I mean, before, just putting on a, a rubber frock in the car in London in the, in the rain in November trying to get to a fetish club in the 80s and 90s, now you can just stick your headset on and be this glamorous sort of other person complete in whatever kit you want. So it's just changed so much and it gives you an alternative choice, I think, to what you would have done but then you guys haven't lived without the internet, without mobile phones. And the whole way of dealing with intimacy and a person is, I think, I think the internet and the new tech, all the different technologies changes the way we perceive intimacy and the way we add, put value onto intimacy. Having maybe that point where you just hold someone's hand in real life takes on an even greater importance than whatever it is you do in cyberspace, in digital space. 
That's relationships between two or more humans. But what about relationships between a person and the technology itself? These are in-game player characters, who of course are not real people. And then of course there are those other beings Trudy gets asked about all the time. You've got that whole sex robot issue. That's driven me crazy. The whole thing about sex robots and how they're going to take over the world. (laughs) Oh dear, I wish. No, there's something about human nature that likes to really blow up and fantasise about these kind of things. Hmm, sounds like sex robots aren't a real thing. Aw. But here's where all those stories have come from. You've got a range of very interesting, basically big silicon dolls that there is a huge sort of subculture of people who like to have these dolls and engage with sexual acts or just affection with these dolls. They are life-size, totally kind of ridiculous looking with big super boobs and bums and everything and the men are men dolls as men dolls do are all sort of hyper glamorous and so many pecs and everything and there's this kind of fantastical image of the body which is constructed with these dolls you have this kind of subculture of most it is mostly men i will say that buy these dolls and they're over ten thousand dollars a piece i mean we're not talking about peanuts here They lavish everything on these dolls. Jewellery, clothing, they take them out for dinner. Really cheap meal, I tell you. So, you know, they do all those kind of things with these dolls and take them to family parties. And some families, they just have to say, well, this is how this person is happy. Because maybe they have other issues with dealing with intimate relationships with a real person. The other thing is that some people are trying to put an AI into the doll and then you get machine learning the doll learns how to react to you and that's been quite interesting to see and that's where it becomes a little bit uncanny valley a bit interestingly creepy another kind of deviant learning innovative process because the doll's ai learns to respond to how you interact with it and there's some pretty um interesting youtube videos of these kind of interactions with the doll actually engaging. So, and it, and it raises all kinds of questions. There's um, a whole bunch of people who are against sex robots and they say it's encouraging a rape culture and it's, you know, paedophiles and all the rest of it. But this is a specific paraphilia that these people have. Most of the people, the guys who buy these dolls actually don't want anything to do with real women, let alone rape them, to be perfectly honest. So it's their particular predilection. So life-size dolls that can machine-learn behaviours from their owners may possibly become a reality, but sex robots, as you might imagine them in a sci-fi movie, are so far nothing to worry about, or indeed look forward to, yet. One of the things Trudy's very interested in right now is haptic technology, That is technology that mimics the sense of touch and how this could be put to use. Anyone fancy donning a cybersexual suit? The whole cybersex suit thing is kind of fun. It brings in the idea of technology and fabric and the sense of touch and all that. But again, that's something that's innovative that you could develop even further, like intelligent clothing. You've got those jackets that they make now that can cuddle you. 
they, if you want to feel like you want to be cuddled, you can just press a button on it and it inflates and makes you feel like you're being cuddled. Or they can make you cool. And then you could take that into buildings, intelligent buildings. You know, there's so many things like this that you could think of. Trudy believes the next chapter in the development of cybersex is going to be in the context of exploration, literally as a way of connecting people no matter how far apart they are, which could be extremely far. As we go to the moon, as we go to Mars, I think it will enable us to keep certain intimate contacts with our families and our loved ones, like, you know, having a hug with somebody. It's, you know, an, an addition to your FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. If you think of somebody in, on Mars not being able to be with their loved ones for two years or more, you know, you could have some kind of intimate relationship, although it takes about eight minutes for the signals from Mars to get to here. So I think it would be quite difficult to get your timing right, if you get my meaning. (laughs) Well, the sequel to Matt Damon's Martian movie could be quite interesting by the sounds of it. And Trudy's asked me to mention that if anyone listening is doing space research and would like a consultant on cybersex and how it could benefit the relationships of astronauts and their loved ones back on Earth, please get in touch. We've heard how sexual interaction in digital spaces has grown and diversified wildly since the 1980s and 90s. It's been nurtured by supporters and creatives like Trudy and embraced by a wide range of participants. The cybersex universe has so much on offer now that anyone who wants to can find ways of connecting and being sexually intimate in a context that suits them. So for many people, it's been a hugely liberating force. For Trudy, one of the other important outcomes from all this has been the way it's opened up conversations that may previously have been taboo. Things like the internet in particular has enabled different types of debate and discussion to become more at at home it makes things more accessible therefore the discussions become more accessible now we've got all this ability to talk about these things and get them out into the open and actually just be frank and more open to other people's ways of doing things because nobody does things the same and nobody does sex the same cybersex pioneer trudy barber Thanks for joining us for this episode of Life Solved. Happy Valentine's Day. If you want to find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth, go to the website port.ac.uk forward slash research. There's loads more research insights to be found on our website, and you can also get news on the latest developments here at the university direct to your inbox. Just subscribe at port.ac.uk forward slash solve. We'll be back next Thursday with more. Catch you then.